Hi, this is Caitlin McFarland. And this is Emily Gibson. And we're the co-founders of ATX Television Festival. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. Welcome to this week's TV Campfire. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, we're here this week. We're releasing a very important panel that it was a part of our nonprofit, the Syndication Project track at the festival called Resistance, Inclusion, and Creating Authentic Muslim Narratives, presented by Impact's Hollywood Bureau, which was, this was a really, I don't want to say it's like a really fun one to put together, but it was a, we had a long runway with this one. Like Impact reached out to us in the fall, I think, of the yes. year before the festival yep. and said, we see what you're doing there. I think we had had our first syndication project track the year before. I think they may have noticed working with like ACLU and things like that and really wanted to have a conversation at the festival and reached out then and got to, in the best way with partners, have a back and forth conversation, really you and Jen, but in creating what was an ATX impact conversation at the festival and what was the important one that maybe only we could tell or what made it sort of a syndication project panel as well and working with Sue at Impact and her whole team to figure out sort of some big swings that maybe didn't happen, but like then the panelists to have a really in-depth conversation about not just positive representation, but authentic representation on television. Well, I think so. For anyone that doesn't know, IMPACT stands for the Muslim Public Affairs Council. And so the department that we were working with um, is the Hollywood Bureau. And Sue, that runs that department, is phenomenal. And she became one of our favorite people very quickly. And it was interesting when she called in a... Obviously, we want to do as many types of representation panels as possible. I mean, that's just a there's a lot of underrepresented communities out there and anything we can do to spotlight and show those communities in a positive light, which is often a truer light than what (laughs) they're shown as we want to be able to do. So whenever we take one of those communities and do the first panel with them, we want to make sure we're telling it semi-broadly. Yeah. Like entry points. Entry points, yeah. As in some, I mean, we try and have many LGBTQ plus conversations every year. And those, you know, it's no longer, what is being gay on TV like? I mean, that what is, is like, gay representation on we're television. We're way past that. Um, but I, we did feel like for Muslim narratives that there had to be at least a starting place. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, unfortunately, because there's not a lot of representation out there. So even pulling from it and for people to really understand, one, what they're seeing on TV and two, that the negative, the negativity of years past is an actual thing that has actually influenced people, but really how that's changing. And so I think there's a long history, even just the past almost 20 years since September 11th, that Jeez. I know. I know. (laughs) That this has really changed and taken a turn. And so really in talking to Sue, one of the things that she was most adamant about wanting to make sure was known to us if it was addressed on the panel topic. Great. But really leading into the fact that when the 2016 election happened, Hollywood, fortunately, started to fight back against these negative representations because they very much were like, okay, we have 
some very vocal politicians that are saying negative things about people whose communities we don't understand. And so Hollywood was like, no, we're going to take we're going to show as much positivity as possible. And so she had this fear that once a different time in our country comes along, that there this fight won't be as strong because people will be like, oh, we solved that problem. And I think that happens a lot in Hollywood and in TV and entertainment in general is people feel that they've started to win a battle and they're like, oh, people are making strides to make this better. And then they stop fighting because everyone has agreed, but no one's actually doing anything. And so that's really part of this conversation is like, this is just the beginning, right? This is just the jumping off point. This is a little bit of a history, but now let's look at like what strides are being taken, but then what still has to be done. Yeah. I also think it's interesting to be able to show different representation. Like I actually remember that since you and Jen were really working with Sue on this conversation and we wanted it to be both actors and writers and producers, like different elements of Muslim representation. And it was getting people who were actually Muslim as much as possible to like talk about their points of view as a Muslim person. And I think one of the first people that we listed was Karina McKenzie, who's Mm -hmm. been to the festival many, many times. And I was like, yeah, but you guys just said you want Muslim representation. Like, (laughs) just because she has Muslim people in Roswell, New Mexico, like, should we not start there? And both you and Jim were like, did you know that she was Muslim? And I was like, (laughs) did not. Did not. It was like lesson number one of judging books by covers or whatever metaphors you want to say. Like, I've known Karina For almost eight years, obviously, we didn't ever talk about, like, religion or anything like that. But I would have had no idea because she looks like a blonde white girl. (laughs) And that's really where that came from. And it was like, oh, even more important. Let's go there. So it was nice to be able to have her on the panel with Sue and Mohammed Amir or Mo Amr, who's on Rami. Who's my new obsession. He's amazing. Yep. I'm going to say Najla. Moomin, mm-hmm. who is phenomenal. She's a director and writer. is writer director and is did a film last year, two years ago, and is starting to broach into the TV world and is just before the festival started, I'd already decided that she was at the top of my list to be my new best friend. And how'd that work out? I didn't. We're not best friends. We're not not best friends. Great. So it's still possible. <laughs> it's still possible. Just not you got to start somewhere. Goal. You got to start in a, hey, I think that you're really cool and I'm not going to be stalker or weird about it, but I think your career is about to take off and you're amazing and let's be friends versus a, hey, welcome to ATX Festival. <laughs> Here's your panel. You know, you got to draw that line. Yes. And we were supposed to have Nicole Boucheri from The Bold Type, but she had a family emergency, so she wasn't on it. But I still think the sort of makeup of the whole thing ended up being really great. And it was the first day of the festival, which was amazing. But we did want to talk about, I think in talking about this panel, it is important, and especially since we hosted the Inside ATX panel leading into the festival about sort of the behind the scenes and how we build panels and the different things we struggle with. Like, obviously, hosting this type of panel We were very aware that there are people who are not supportive of this point of view of positive representations of Muslims not attending the festival, but in the world. (laughs) Uh, I believe everyone attending the festival is very supportive of it. But in the world and in the world that we live in, in a public event, we had to be aware of what might happen, Um, not even just like backlash of any kind. We have experienced in the past sort of, for lack of better words, right-wing conservative type, usually bloggers, uh, popping up with, you know, 
a booth outside of a panel to say, build a wall <laughs> and crazy things like that. Like, luckily, knock on all of the things, we've taken a lot of measures to make sure that everybody is safe. But knowing that we were booking this panel, we were willing to take that risk. And what's funny about that is I never even thought about it as a risk. Like, I, in a way that you may have when we were doing this well, panel, never thought about there would be any sort of, is there a, um, would there be any backlash? Like, would there be any sort of? The reason I know we did is because Jen and you, I thought you were there. We had a whole conversation about what venue it was going to be in because the year before. Oh, you're right. We did. Okay. <laughs> no, we absolutely did. Yeah. yeah, we had that talk about trying to put it in. Yeah. And Which then you venue like, was more controlled. Does it need to be safer? You know, it's funny because we absolutely did. And then once we decided where it was. And I'm very good at making decisions and moving on from them. Like, mm -hmm. didn't think about it again. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I'm. It wasn't something I thought about at every stage. Mm -hmm. But just in acknowledging that we we knew. I, I don't think it was definitely not the first thing I thought of. Uh, and I think actually Jen probably brought it up. Um, because being a small event, I think it's also something that you and I often, small event, like footprint-wise, we often... I never thought of it before the year before when we've got our first booth people and, and there was somebody who, you know, I don't want to go into it, but like disrupted a panel by yelling things that was sent there to be disruptive for that reason. And again, everybody's safe, but we live in a world that your brain goes to the worst possible thing. And so in the greatest way, when Impact approached us, I it was not the first or 10th thing that we thought of. But as we got closer to it, and very specifically, it came up with scheduling of like what venue, you know, what what's up against it, like all of these kinds of things. And we ended up picking a venue we felt we had the most control over, crowd control, like kind of in and out. Um, and then forgot, probably forgot about it again, like mm -hmm. you. And then 24 hours pretty much before the, this was on Thursday, it was the first panel or the second? It but was... Uh, I mean, it was going to be on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. So, the, so the panel was on Thursday in the the first or second slot. It was going to like kind of kick off everything, and then the day before, like truly, I think like twenty four hours before, we got an email in a couple of different ways. It went to our publicist and our info at, and it was essentially, for lack of better phrasing, gobbledygook in our opinion. Like it didn't have a lot of sensical sentences or saying any sort of point of view, but it was clearly about this panel hosting it, there were words we couldn't really understand, but it felt threatening, I yes. think, ultimately. Um, and it did. It's in a panic for about, you know, a little bit of time that then we were immediately grateful. It was 24 hours in advance. Yes. We then contacted our security team, APD, hotel security, anybody we could talk to about what we were allowed to do, what we should do, how we it was never a question of canceling the panel, like talk about things that don't cross your mind. Yeah. Like it was how do we do this and prepare ourselves and what does it mean and what do we think is most likely. Um, and my favorite part is like hit the ground running to gather all of this information to like hire extra security and I don't know, even think about like metal detectors and things we don't normally have and everything. And then you called Sue <laughs> to let her know where we're to basically say, this has happened, we're getting this email, we don't know what it means, but we're putting in all this extra security. And I feel like she kind of laughed at you, <laughs> like in the best was, way. No, her answer was because we had uh, had planned on meeting up 
on that Wednesday afternoon. So she and Lori, her counterpart, came and found us. And we're talking. She's so excited to be there. And I was like, oh, crap. I have to tell her about this email. And she's so excited. And they can't wait for this panel to happen. And now I have to tell her that this thing happened, but we're taking all these measures. And I literally said the words. So we got an email. And she goes, oh, you got one of those? <laughs> Just flat out. That was it. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, oh, yeah, sorry. You just got it today. Usually they send them two to three days beforehand. And I pulled up the email, and they were looking at it, and they're like, okay, we're going to send this to our director. She's like, this is nothing. You yeah. need to not worry about this at all. It's kind of crazy. They only send it a day before. Usually they send it a couple days before so that you try, they try to get you to shut down the whole thing. But this is ridiculous, yeah. and don't even start to worry about it. Yeah. Which I just thought was like, I mean, we would still do all of the same things and we did get extra security and we, you know, did things that made us feel good. But I think it was just in telling the story, I think it was a good lesson of continually telling, hosting the panels that we know are important and not letting anybody keep you from doing those, but also continually to make your community and partners and everybody sort of feel safe and collaboratively come to those conclusions because the panel ended up being it was such a great conversation yeah and that's a and the thing that i love about our panel so much is that when you're in these rooms it feels like everyone's having a conversation together Mm -hmm. it's not just the panelists on stage talking and everyone else listening it really feels like a collaborative conversation and that's what that room felt like it was people in there to learn or to support or they were a fan of one of these actors creators and they just wanted to see them on stage. It was a, one of the kickoff ones. And so kickoff panel. So they were there, but that everyone really had this incredible experience together and no one had any idea that there was yeah. any sort of threat, even though if it's a bogus threat looming over it, yeah, yeah. like no one, no one even batted an eye or noticed the extra security yeah. guard in the best way. Yeah. So with that, we hope you enjoy Resistance, Inclusion, and Creating Authentic Muslim Narratives, presented by Impact's Hollywood Bureau and moderated by Vanity Fair's Sonia Soraya. Hi, you guys. Thank you for coming to this panel. I'm Sonia. I'm the TV critic for Vanity Fair, and I'm going to introduce our esteemed panelists, I think I'm using the wrong microphone, so I'm going to do a microphone switch right now. It's cool. <laughs> that was very smooth. Okay, uh, first up, Sue Obeidy, director of Unpack. There she is. Mo Amer. Mo Amer. There he is. Where is he? There he is. Najula McMean. And Karina Adley-McKenzie. Try not to trip. I feel very comfy. We're like in a very nice lounge situation right here. Um, So I think that it would only be fitting to start with talking a little bit about why an organization like MPAC has a Hollywood bureau 
Um, and Sue, I thought that you would have a lot to say about that subject um, as the director, but especially right now when we're um, in a very interesting, interesting is not the right word, in a very upsetting and tragic moment for the way that Muslim Muslims in America, American Muslims are talked about in the media um, by our president and many other people. Um, tell me a little bit about what the kind of work you guys do and specifically how it's changed recently. Sure. First of all, I, before I answer your question, I want to thank you for agreeing to moderate. You were thank our you. first choice. And so thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of Impact's Hollywood Bureau, I, I do want to thank the organizers of the festival, Emily, Caitlin, Jennifer and all the staff and volunteers, thank you for putting a beautiful uh, festival together. Um, and also the syndication project for their generous sponsorship. I wanted to let you know that the month of Ramadan just ended three days ago. It's where observing Muslims fast from sunrise to sunset. And today is our third day of our holiday. And usually we're with our families. Um, but this is such an important occasion that we felt that we needed to be here to um, express to you the importance of changing the narrative in Hollywood, because we are really all in this together. I want to wish my co-panelist, Saeed Mubarak, to you and your families, and thank you for being here today. Um, my, well, you my, don't know my family. Okay. And my, Very and, relieved to be here at the oh, same really? No, I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I was going to say, like, queso is a really good, good way to okay. celebrate. I'm good. <laughs> Franklin's barbecue, baby. Here it. we go. Here we go. And my friend and colleague, Lori, who basically keeps me in check and keeps me out of trouble for her guidance and support. And I just wanted to get that out of the way. And I want to thank all of you here today for coming. I, I, you know, when you organize a panel, you worry like, it's like, will seven people show up? And I really appreciate you being here, obviously. There's more than seven They're people. all here for me, but... That, that's, and that's fine, that's and that's fine. But back to your question, which um, is why the Hollywood, why we do the work we do. And, and first of all, the Hollywood Bureau, I'm with the Muslim Public Affairs Council, MPAC for short, and what we do is we work in the industry to change the narrative of Islam and Muslims on TV and film, and we do it in three ways. We consult on TV and film projects and digital platforms, of course. Um, we also connect our screenwriters, our directors and producers to industry decision makers so we can get, help get them in the door and so they can hopefully get jobs. And we also um, contribute our thought leadership by organizing and speaking on panels and writing op-eds and, and, and organizing screenwriting labs. It is very imperative that not just Muslim, but all marginalized communities are represented in, in, on television and in, in, in the media because that is what America is. We are, we are not all straight white males. And, and America is, has been founded on diversity. America is diversity. That is the soul of America. So why the Hollywood Bureau? Because it is the most powerful industry in the world. I, I love our work in policy in our DC office. They do amazing work. But to when you touch hearts and minds and when you're able to change values and opinions and actions, I think that's where the power is. So that's why we do the work in Hollywood. Um, since Trump has been since Trump ran for the presidency, I really just need to say this. Um, it, we've experienced some really great stuff um, in Hollywood. It, there were a lot of silver linings. 
we're in Hollywood, I want to be very clear when I say in the entertainment industry, because I totally know there's a travel ban and all hell is breaking loose in Washington, D.C. But for some reason, well, for Hollywood, there's been many silver linings. Marginalized communities are banding together and changing and changing the narrative in their own way. We're, we're pushing in our own way. Um, so our experience, Sonia, has been very positive. We've been doing the work for for many years, but it wasn't really until the last handful of years that we've noticed the industry reaching out and being proactive with us. Usually it's, they are, they, they, they come to us when they need us, but now it's like, hey, how can you help us develop this character? How can you help us change the narrative? How do you have these screenwriters? We want to get them in the door. So it has been such a great experience in the last five years or so during the administration. And I tell you right now that we are never going to go back to the way it was, not just for Muslim narratives, but for all narratives, LGBTQ, Hispanic, you know, black, all of it. We are never going to go back. So um, that's my experience. Oh, that's, that's really helpful. Um, so one of the things I really like about this panel is that we're talking about authentic Muslim identity and putting that into our creative work. And all three of you, I think, have very, first of all, present really differently demographically. I don't know. I feel like I really read very Muslim when I watch <laughs> I would have guessed. Um, but I, and also, you do very different creative work. So, like, Karina, you're a showrunner, and you have Muslim writers on staff. You got, you got fans. Um, but you're not necessarily uh, turning your, your, your religion, your belief, into your narrative. But then, Naljala, that is, like, the central focus of your film that you made when you were doing Jin. And, Mo, your work is comedy, which takes it in a totally different direction. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how, uh, how you feel like you put that piece of yourself that is your authentic self into your work and, and what, that, uh, what that has done for you creatively. It's a question for me? Or anybody. All right. Yeah. Uh, for me in stand-up, you know, it, it, stand-up comedy is such a unique art form where you're there by yourself, it's your material, it's your, you know, you're the only one on stage and you have to have faith in yourself. And usually in stand-up and when you start out, they say that there's like a wall in front of you and piece by piece you start removing parts of that wall as you continue to get more and more stage time, you get in front of audiences more and more. And eventually you break through that wall and you become your authentic self. Hmm. Um, and it's not saying that you weren't real at that point. Like when I, I started when I was 14, so watching tapes of myself when I was like 17 years old on stage and to see where I am 20 years later, it's really just fascinating to like, I don't even know who this person is. Mm. Like, who, why, why did you speak that way? And why did you look like a car salesman at 17 years old with these slacks? And these, so it's just like a matter of putting in the time and to do that. But it's always been, um, you know, for me and my art and stand up in particular to, to, you know, always make it, to always speak about the Arab experience in America. And it wasn't even just like Muslim, it's like pre 9-11, I was definitely, it was a bit, I always saw that there was this big hole in stand-up where people don't know that they're experiencing Middle Eastern culture at the time. Like they're having hookahs, they're eating hummus or what have you, and, and they're experiencing it, but they don't know where it comes from, what it is, what our habits are, what our family is like. They, don't, they didn't have that. So it was really fun playing with that. But then 9-11 happens, and really now the stakes become much higher. Like, mm -hmm. oh, now there's almost like this obligation mm -hmm 
whether you want to or not, people would just walk up to you like, it's really great what you're doing for us. I'm like, shit, I'm just trying to be a comedian. Like, you know? Right. So that's, that's a lot of pressure uh, to put on yourself. And I always say like, hey, my goal is to make people laugh. If I can uh, make them think, that's what makes a really great stand-up comedian. And to have a mentor like Dave Chappelle the last seven years and, and to tour with him and to do over 700 shows with him and to see what it's like to perform on that level where all the stakes are there and to somebody who's as socially conscious as Dave is and educated as Dave is and how he weaves in different, you know, different subject matters, it's really inspiring and it just teaches you how to be able to do that by also being hilarious at the same time. But when it takes you, a lot of work. When you were working with that wall, as you're saying, did you feel like you had to dig deeper into your identity or did you feel like you were pushing out more? Yeah, I mean, I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, my name is Muhammad. Uh, Pre-9-11 <laughs> was just like, oh, all these hilarious jokes. And then 9-11 happens like, whoa. <laughs> it really was very difficult to actually even say that I'm Arab or Muslim because of fear of what might happen to me just by doing that. And finally, when I got over it and I said it on stage, the room was so thick, you know, it was just really like, <laughs> it's like I fooled them, right? It's like, it's like I told them all this funny jokes up top and they thought I was just like, they didn't know what I was, some Mexican, some white dude. They don't know. They had no idea. I'm so ambiguous. And then when I told them I'm Arab American, they felt like, I feel gross. I just laughed at you. You know, it felt that way to me. It probably wasn't the case. It was probably catastrophizing in my mind. It was much worse in my mind than it actually is. But it's a lot of pressure for somebody who's 19 to deal with at a time like that. But it just forces your hand to, to really get through it. And the only way I found... Uh, to get really get through it and to be my authentic self was because I had nowhere you know to tour except the south That's where I started He's getting a car he drives six seven hours eight hours Midland Odessa to do a show in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. and you come back and you're like I have 175 bucks but to perform in front of them and to perform in Alabama to perform in all over Louisiana and to be able to have the confidence to stand your ground this is who I am and then just like smash at the same time mm -hmm. it's really empowering yeah. I mean I was in home Louisiana I'll never forget this at the Laniat Music Cafe and while I was on stage having a great time and just one of the best shows I've had in my early career they were searching my room at the Ramada Inn and you know, I just checked in. My name is Muhammad. That's all she said. The security guard told me. And they checked my room, and it was ransacked, and I had no idea. I'm on stage like, G -g 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 -g. <laughs> and everybody's oh just God. going through my shit. And then I go outside, and I was surrounded by police officers and people in the distance. Leave him alone. He was funny. You know, like, <laughs> this one police officer pulled up. It's like, is that him? I'm like, is that you? What the fuck is going on? You know, that's how I felt. It was, it was. It was really invasive. Like, why did you go to Japan and Korea? I was like, uh, okay, I was performing for U.S. troops. Bam! In your yeah. face, right? What are you going to say now? So that was like something that really helped me become myself. I did those things. I went and performed for U.S. troops because I was like, man, if I can be myself in front of U.S. troops, not only in Japan, Korea, Guam, or what have you, but also go to Kuwait and Iraq, still as a refugee, uh, illegally entering the country basically to do those shows and to be myself in the middle of nowhere where I'm so vulnerable and still get a reaction that's better than the other comedians even, 
is so empowering and you just like, okay, I can do this. And that's what it took for me is repetition, putting myself in situations that I would probably be very uncomfortable. And then also not only doing them, but being very comfortable and excelling in those situations. You're like, oh, okay, I'm a beast. This is what it takes. It's a, it's a very strange thing when like being who you are is an act of resistance. Like the, the idea that you're just, you're, doing your job and you're, you know, performing your show and then you're also like, fuck you, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's built into it. And it, it kind of, for me, I grew up in, my, mom, my mom's Egyptian, I grew up Muslim in, you know, a very white town in Connecticut. And uh, it was just a thing. It wasn't like a big deal until 9-11. And after 9-11, it became this thing that was like this, um, yeah, like it felt like an act of resistance to state a fact about myself. Um, and I think that that, uh, it changed the way that I um, think about the religion as far as like, it's not just about religion, it's about identity. And it's about, um, for me, I think, you know, because I don't present as obviously Arab or obviously Muslim, I hear a lot of people talking and I hear a lot of people saying things that they would normally not say in front of somebody that, you know, maybe doesn't look like me. Um, and when I did sort of get the opportunity to, you know, start putting work in front of the public, it was really important to me to... Um, to address it, and it does feel like a, a little like mini protest all the time, um, which I wish it didn't. <laughs> um, it must be kind of exhausting. It is exhausting, but it's also you know I we had three Muslim writers in my writers room last season, and the um, thanks. Um, there are no Muslim characters on the show I'm working on right now, but our our show is a metaphor for Islamophobia. It's you know. It's about aliens, guys, but <laughs> there's a metaphor there. Uh, in the in the pilot, they you know the the lead the male lead says that when he sees aliens on TV, they're blowing up the White House and they're you know abducting people, and so he doesn't know how to sort of like be his authentic self and speak openly about who he is because how do you reconcile how you feel with what you're seeing on TV? And so we address it. Uh, I don't think it's very subtle. <laughs> but then I've got like, twi like tweets from like some guy in you know, Ohio that's like, I don't really think, I don't understand this political narrative on this show. When did it get so political? And I'm like, the first scene. <laughs> the first scene. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think it's the, the it's it's interesting when um, you know writing something that reflects my experience is seen as this like like show of of anger or show of of um, protest, and I'm just kind of like I just want to tell stories. <laughs> Exactly. I just, I just always said, if I was going to do something, it has to be amazing. Like, it has to be really, really good. And you have to be patient. And you have to, like, really excel at what you do to, like, so you can get the props. You feel like so many things are going against you that you have to be the best. 
Like when I go into a room, do stand up, I want to be one of the best guys in there. I want to, I want to be one of the hardest, hardest working guys in there. And it was always like a rule for me. Even Muslims, like, yeah, I want to celebrate as many Muslims as possible to get in it, and I want them to win, and I want them to do well, of course. But if you suck, it doesn't mean I want you there. You know, like, don't be, my whole thing is like, don't be corny. Be, be really, you know, flat-footed with what you do and really push it hard and, and make sure that it's, like, well-crafted and, and it's for the masses, too. It's not something you're just trying to do for yourself, you know? Najla, do you want to talk about your film a little bit? Talk about it for the audience? Because it premiered at South By last year, and I think, uh, I think it's really relevant to what we're talking about. Definitely. Uh, my film is called Jin. It is a narrative coming-of-age story about uh, a black girl whose mother converts to Islam, and this really shakes her whole worldview. Um, she's really hesitant to embrace her mother's new religion, but in time comes to really feel um, drawn to Islam. Um, she also meets some people within the masjid who kind of open up her world. Um, and it's a, it's a love story, it's a family story, it's about, you know, really finding out who you are. We premiered at South by Southwest 2018, where I won the Grand Jury Award for Best Screenplay. And the film was acquired by MGM Orion Classics um, last year in November, and is currently streaming on Amazon Prime and on iTunes. Um, my journey to making that film was really um, through through the years. Um, as a young girl growing up in the Bay Area, I'm from Oakland. Um, I always felt <laughs> take it easy, Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> Go Warriors. I always felt <laughs> I always felt um, that I was kind of a part of different worlds, a part of different cultural worlds. Um, I grew up in a very vibrant, beautiful African-American Muslim community. My father is a devout Muslim, and my mother converted to Islam when she married my father. And as a young girl, I really loved being a part of that community. I loved going to the masjid. I would ask my father if, like, Michael Jackson was a Muslim, because I was so in love with being a Muslim. He wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> I mean... He wasn't, guys. He was never Muslims, all right? We don't need any extra shit around like Jan, Jan, Janet Jackson, Anita yeah. Baker, all, all, the, all the singers, all the singers that I loved at that time, um, I wanted them to be Muslim. Um, and as I became a teenager, I went to public school, I had a lot of friends, African-American friends who were not Muslim. Um, you know, we were listening to like Little Kim, we were wanting to dress in ways that weren't encouraged in the Muslim community, and I felt kind of like a war inside of myself in terms of my identity. And that was really the, the um, foundation of my film. I wrote poetry growing up, I wrote a lot of poetry where I was wrestling with who I was, with my family, with how I was just making sense of the world was through those poems. I went on to become a filmmaker when I was at UC Berkeley. I wanted to take my poetry and my photography further, and I knew that I wanted to create a film about a black girl who was Muslim. I had never seen that film before, and I knew it was my story. So that story just stuck with me for years until um, I finally took the step to write the script in 2015, got with a producer. We independently 
completely financed that film outside of the studio system and we just we just did it so it was a film that I I just knew I had to tell because it was in a lot of ways my story and a story that I just had never seen before I think it's very cool. Um, I think that the tension between being a good Muslim and being a good American, or, or just, it's sort of a twist on what you were saying, Mo, about trying to make something that appeals to a wide audience as opposed to a niche audience. I was curious if you guys can talk a little bit about that tension, because I think that, for, uh, Karina's so excited, because I think I that, Please. Uh, actually, yeah, just go, yeah. Um, first of all, I think that the, uh, when you're, when you're, putting Muslim characters on screen, and again, I don't have Muslim characters on my show yet, but um, one of the things that I love about Rami, 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 Rami sorry. Um, Which, by the way, is, Mo, Mo Sarzin. Yes, yes. Mo's, Mo. Mo's in. Yes. Um, it, it reflects so many different experiences of what it means to be Muslim in America, and the show doesn't need to be obsessed with, like, whether or not every character is a good Muslim, mm-hmm. right. and I think that the that's sort of the challenge of when you're when you're putting characters on screen in really any sort of uh, re- representing any kind of marginalized community. You're like, do you want? I mean, my show, for example, it's like. I could make this character like the perfect bisexual, but then it's really fucking boring to watch. And so I think that what we need and what we're what what we're after is what, a situation where there's enough narratives and enough representation that everyone doesn't have to be exactly perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as sort of the the conflict between uh, appealing to a mass audience and like appealing to a very niche audience. It's funny because I, when I first watched Rami, I literally texted my mom and I was like, "You got to watch this show. Do not watch it with your father." <laughs> I was like, "I am telling you." I was like, "I wouldn't want to watch it with you. You do not want to watch it with my grandmother." Um, and and she was like, "Thank you." Um, but I, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, in New York and I was visiting with my grandfather, and he's you know 90 years old, and he's he's from Egypt and. He said, he asked me what my, what, what my dream is to create. And I said that I really want to write a show about a family like mine, which is a multi, multicultural family. Um, my, my, the Muslim side of my family is hilarious. And I think that, like, I wanted to sort of, like, I want to put that forward. And I, I, as I climb the ranks, you know, in, in television, that's the goal is to be able to ultimately sell, like, the untitled Karina McKenzie project mm-hmm. and and have that matter enough that people are like, oh, let's just trust her to tell this this small family That's story. True. And my grandfather said, don't do that. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he was like, you should make something like All in the Family. Everybody really liked, everybody really liked Ar- Archie Bunker. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? And he's like, you should just, he was like, you don't want to tell stories about Muslims. And I was like, I I really do, though, and I like really thought he was going to be very proud, but he's scared. You know, his it's he, the pressure of that is overwhelming to him. He's never seen himself on screen. Um, you know, he he's not really watching Hulu, uh, <laughs> but but he he was like he was very firm about it. I was telling him I was like, yeah, but we, you know, I could put a family like ours on screen and people fall in love with them and then it it, it changes them. And he's like. Or you could just make the family Italian. Like, wow. there's, you know, there, there is a lot of, of, of sort of this, this fear of um, 
it, that that a narrative that looks like mine is going to just be rejected. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny to sit in front of my Arab Muslim grandfather and have him like tell me the things that like I'm expecting to hear from like the old straight white right. dude, at, you know, that's at the top of whatever studio. No names. What? Um, but, Do you think but, it's... but there is a sort of element of like, uh, can you create something that is specific that is also universal? And I think that that's the, the challenge always. I, I m- imagine, particularly with comedy, that's kind that's of... a big the, thing that people ask me a lot. It's like, oh, do you change your material when you go to South Africa? Do you change your material when you go to Europe? It's like, no, man. It's the same shit. It's like, it's, it works everywhere. And it always comes down to, like, my mentor. He taught me that early on. He's right universal, Mo. It doesn't mean you just have to go to low-hanging fruit. No, you just, you're just you picking a subject matter, and the way you craft it and write it, it works well everywhere. And usually that's your... That's a great place to start. You go to London for comedians, it's like the stop. You go outside of the States, you go stop over in London, see how it goes. That audience is really used to, you know, uh, stand up and they love thought-provoking stand-up as well, and they they really are known for that, so that's like you where you go to bounce off ideas. You go to London for that, and then you come back to the States, this game that you play, but it's really very international. But that's like the main thing. Well, I mean, it sounds like there's like a different approaches from both of you because I think Karina I think you'd be happy making the 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 niche piece if you if it was I mean it obviously yes great but I also need to live and right, make money course. and eat so like it's it's that's the thing is is like yeah ultimately like you want to make something that that appeals to a larger audience I, I think a lot about um and and this might be attributing it too much but like I think Modern Family made a difference politically. I think that, I literally think that that show being on in middle America changed the way that, not everyone obviously, but that a lot of people look at gay families. Um, and and I think that you, you can literally see a shift. And I don't, obviously I don't attribute it all to like one sitcom, but I have to believe that what I do matters somewhere. And so that's my hope, is to ultimately see that shift being made. Um, and it's just not enough to be like, okay, this show has great Muslim res- representation because there's one brown character who isn't a terrorist. And and that's that's not the... It's just not enough. It's not... It's It doesn't... It doesn't move the needle. You're right. So don't listen to your grandfather. Honestly, don't, because we need... I never have. Good. (laughs) Good. It's really... That's the wonderful thing about stand-up, though, because you can't sustain a career. You know, you you can make a living doing stand-up comedy and you don't have to go because that's my real path that's 100% what I'll do for the rest of my life that is the one steady thing even the acting goes away movie offers go away all the stuff goes away you still have stand-up you can go do that and you can be patient and stay in your pocket until the world catches up you know, one thing was like American Sniper was the was the first movie that I was asked to like really audition for. The other, I only had a few other auditions beforehand because I was very picky what I do. I was asked like three times to potentially go out for this movie, and it's like, yeah, I first of all went against my mother's wishes to be a stand-up comedian, and then the first movie, my screen debut, potentially, I'm not saying I would have got it, I'm saying potentially could be basically a turncoat that gets a lot of Arabs and Muslims 
murdered. And this is why I could just visualizing taking my mom to the premiere or something. It's never gonna happen. So I was just always like patient, sustain it through stand up and you know, writing also as well, like writing shows or writing whatever you have, it'll never like it'll never expire. How long did it take for you to write Jen? Like, it took several years, right? Yeah, it took several years. And um, you just bank yeah. those ideas, right? You just, they're just like your savings account. And at some point, when you start getting those meetings and you do have that heat, you can step in and be like, oh, you like this one? Oh, guess what? Here's another project that you didn't know about. Kate, Emily, question, answer. If you had the most brilliant idea. I do. What is it? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Fine. Let's say you have the most brilliant idea for a new TV show. Oh, okay. category. Okay. What would you do? What would be your first step? You have this idea that you dream about. You think about while you're eating, about while you're walking around, about while you're listening to this right now. And all you want to do is yell it into whatever listening device you have. I have the most brilliant idea. This is a TV show that should exist in the world. I mean, I'd probably tell you. But then I don't know. I don't. How would I get it made? You know what I would tell you to do? If you told me. I would tell you. But you're not really you. Like in this case scenario, we're okay. not us. Great. Just Way stay to be with complicated. me here. Then I would tell you you should submit to ATX Television Festivals the pitch competition. That's a great idea. Yes. That is a great idea. Except I'm not eligible. Nope. You are not. Okay. So because I'm not eligible, whoever is listening to this, can you do me a favor? If you have a great idea... It's just, it's sad that I can't make my dream come true this way, but you can. You should submit to the pitch competition. But Emily, will you tell me, I mean them, how to do that? Yes. You go to atexfestival.com backslash pitch. Great. Step one, internet. Internet. And then all you have to do is submit a 90-second video pitch of your idea. It does have to be a scripted idea. Okay. No, we are not making reality shows at this point in time. Great. Scripted. And you also have to have a five to 10 page writing sample. Okay. Check. Two things. So you go, you fill out the form, you upload them. There are very specific instructions on how to do that. FAQs, I'm sure. And you have until January 17th. Just mark that day on your calendar. Right. And then through a series of rounds mm-hmm. with some of our screeners and judges. Like the Blacklist and Sundance Labs and executives and such. And TV runners and producers. Not and TV fans. People who make well, TV. But they I are mean, all TV fans. Great. Great. Then after that, we... They are our judges, select the top 10 finalists, uh-huh. and those top 10 finalists pitch live at the festival. Oh, and like they, a live studio audience. Yes, like a live studio audience. Oh, and then the winner is then mentored by one of our judges mm-hmm. or other ATX panelists, mm-hmm. and then you get to pitch live to yeah, you, pitch, you like, definitely pitch live. But, but then you get to pitch to our studio network partners. Oh, to maybe like see if they want to buy it? Uh, the, to then make the TV show. <gasps> Guys, you're so lucky. I'm screwed, but <laughs> you're lucky because like I'm it's it's I'm guessing it's illegal for me. You said that, right? Yep. It's illegal for it me. It is to definitely do it. illegal for you to submit this way. Great. I'll um, find another way. But you guys do this. It's much simpler. But if you go to atxfestival.com backslash pitch, all the information is there. But really the only thing that you have to have is an amazing idea for a new TV show and a writing sample. Yep. From now until when did you say? When does it end? January 17th. Great. ATXfestival.com backslash pitch. I'm just asking for a friend. We'll tell your friend they should go and pitch now. Did you did you think about 
you, the audience, like very specifically who the audience was for Jin when you were writing it in terms of this tension between like the masses versus the niche? Um, yeah, I did think about the audience, but I really try to stay true to myself because I don't like to go into writing things saying, oh, I want this to represent this whole group of people or I want everybody in the Muslim community to relate because I know that's not going to happen. So I think as much as you can stay true and specific to your own experience, that will speak to the experiences of other people. Um, I also really didn't worry about, I knew I wasn't going for like the bad Muslim versus the, the good Muslim. Like I, I really don't um, subscribe to that. Yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy. No. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't subscribe to that in any of my writing. Like, I think the fullness and the complexity of character is what grabs people in dramatic writing. So I've never been the one to try to create a character who was trying to fit some kind of trope or, you know, expectation that that I think somebody wants. And I think um, specifically specifically with Jen, the, the responses to that film in the Muslim community, in the African-American community, and outside of it have been so overwhelmingly positive um, that I know that people were just thirsty for a complex representation of a black girl, of a black Muslim, of a Muslim. And maybe, you know, there, there's this fear of that, but there's also a deep need to see the fullness of who you are on a screen. And I, I've seen people crying, I've seen people laughing, and I think that's what I wanted. I wanted to get to that space where we go beyond the good versus the bad. We just want to see people living life. And that's what I'm most moved by as a, as a, a writer and a director. Yeah, I just wanted to add that the opportunity area for the industry, as far as Muslim narratives are concerned, is the black Muslim narrative. A lot of times when they... When they want to write about Muslims, they're not thinking about the black Muslim. They're, you know, they're the first community that came to America. They built America. So that's a shame, because they're always thinking about the Arab, the South Asian, or whatever. So, I mean, hats off to her. 100% yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I was... It's like people forgot Muhammad Ali existed. Yeah. I know that... He's one of um, the greatest American icons. His name is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. Are you kidding me? One of the most yeah. magnetic figures in history. Like it's just all. So, so as a Muslim, as a Muslim, when I see that, I just—it's a—it's a shame. It's because we want all narratives, all. Yeah, yeah oh, just on that, you know, when we were pitching, Jen, it's interesting because you go and you pitch a film like this to executives and people who have never even conceived of a story um, with a black Muslim girl protagonist. Um, some of the first things are like, yeah, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. And I think that's beautiful, but I think we have to kind of expand our understanding in the contemporary sense of African-American Muslims. Like, we have the historical kind of signifiers, but we also have people living day to day today that we can look to for these stories. Um, and that just speaks to, you know, just the void of void in that in those stories that the only thing those people could kind of point to were, you know, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. There, there's so many other stories that exist outside of kind of the historical, you know kind of narrative. Of course, of course. Could you, uh, I wonder if you guys have any examples of pop culture in at any point in your lives where 
you felt seen or represented by it. You were like, oh, this, this is finally it. Someone's telling a story that I relate to. I think it happened no, last I week with Rami. At all, no. like, like Rami was last week. Right, right. I mean, that was a and, even, and even Rami that comes from, like, and I, I, I love the show, obviously. I'm in the show. I'm thrilled about the show. Fantastic. I'm yeah, fantastic. It's a great show. You were really I'm good I'm thrilled to be it. in it, and, and it's like my brother, and I love him. And even that's, like, a, different, a little slightly different than what I have as well. Like, I have a very unique thing, and that's what Rami and I are working on right now, actually. Can't talk about it too much, but, you know, it's good things. But I haven't seen a show like that. But I also related to sitcoms as well, like, Great American sitcoms that happen to come on television. Like, man, I related to that. And I didn't know any of those shows anyway. I came here when I was nine years old. There was all this stuff I had to catch up on. Even, like, great stand-up comedians. I knew I chose to do stand-up comedy, and I would be at open mics. and be like, hey, man, you sound like Sam Kennison. I'm like, who's Sam Kennison? Like, what did you say? You know? <laughs> From Houston saying that is so absurd. And then you have all these tapes the next week, and they're like, hey, man, you need to watch all these comedians. Like, there's, there, was a, there was a big gap for me that I had to catch up on. And uh, there's nothing that I have on television that I've completely related to at all. There's nothing more uncomfortable than going to a 24 watch party for an Arab Muslim. Uh, was, I mean, <laughs> it was like I had no idea what it was. I'm sitting there. I was like, "This is the craziest shit." I've, they're all hunting my people. It's crazy. Yeah, we did not consult on that show. And, just for yes. the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I come home and I see like I visit my sister and I see my nephew playing those war games. I'm like, "Why are you chasing our own people?" <laughs> it's much funnier, <laughs> but it's just like weird. I haven't had anything. No, I'm. I'm a straight white person. I'm not going to sit up here and be like, I'm not represented on television enough. Um, but no, that part of my identity, I've never seen represented on television, but I also know that like, that's a very, very, very specific experience. And, and I don't really, I'm not like going to sit around and complain that nobody else is representing me on television. I'm going to work until I can represent me on television um, and hope that that, you know, that it reflects parts of other people's identities that they can relate to. Um, I think that, you know, the closest thing that I can say, and I'm not even finished with the book yet, but I just got a, a um, galley, like a, a pre-release copy of a, a YA novel called All American Muslim Girl about a blonde southern girl who is Muslim. And I, uh, I haven't finished it yet, but that's the closest thing that I've, the close, closest piece of like pop culture that I've felt related to my story, but um, no. <laughs> yeah, but that, that said, like, I also, like, I don't need it. I don't need to feel perfectly represented. I just, like, it would be cool if, like, I went to see Aladdin and everybody that talks like my grandfather wasn't the villain, you know? Like, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't ask for, like, a lot. <laughs> just a little. I mean... It's really interesting how few examples you have. Like that, that there's so, it's like a handful, and even those aren't perfect, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, but can I just chime in here? We all know the history of this industry, vilifying Muslims, Arabs, other marginalized communities, but nothing will last forever. And I really just want to just emphasize the fact that. Few years ago, you know, there wasn't a Karina, Nigella, a Mo. This is just the. I mean, you have yet to see 
stories about and by Muslims. I promise you in the next handful of years, we're going to turn this industry on top of its head. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of work to do. It's not going to come easy. But traditionally, this industry has been a taboo industry for Arabs, at least, for Muslims, where if you're, you wanted to be an actress, you're, you were like, what the hell? Like, there's no way my daughter is ever going to be an actress. The immigrant population is transitioning. And we have younger people coming in saying, no, this is going to be my career. I am going to make a living. Mm -hmm. And also, because of the successes of Rami and a few shows on TV that have Muslim characters, FBI with Zico Zaki, or even or Master of None, Grey's Anatomy, supply, you know how this business, Economics 101, when, when tastes and preferences change, demand follows, and that is what is going to happen. What worked for decades will not necessarily work forever. And I just want to hats off to the people on the ground for doing the heavy lifting. Um, but I am very hopeful. It's not going to be easy, but the, the best is yet to come because of them. So thank you. Well, thank you. Well, this is amazing. This seems like an excellent opportunity to take questions from the audience. Okay. She was first. She was and we have, um, we have microphones, so I'm just going to ask you to wait until you have a microphone to ask your question. Otherwise, you won't make we it on the one podcast. Here yeah. For There's left. one over here and a few over there. This yeah. particular row has four for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. We have two microphones, so you can set that one, tee it up. All right. Hello. Kelly, if you don't use the microphone, you won't be on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. I, the only way that I know how to, to describe this is from the black experience, but um, like I know people who say that they're not light enough and they get angry, I mean, that they're too light, and so they get angry because they feel like they're passing, even though they're not trying to pass, um, for white. And how do you... How do you decide that? Because most people, I like, I don't know, like, except for you and, um, you know, the people with hijabs or, or uh, yarmulkes or whatever, I don't know what anybody's religion is. How do you represent somebody's religion and know if, without explicitly making a religious show? Like, you know that your characters are not Muslim, but are they anything? Or did you specifically decide they're not Muslim? Or? I mean, yeah. Uh, on my show, there are there's a family that is explicitly was raised Catholic. Um, there and and the you know there's not like a an overwhelming sense of like we're gonna follow them to church all the time. But we know they you know that that the lead character on my show was raised going to Catholic church with her family and that she sort of battles with with religion versus science versus everything um, I, I think that it can be a part of a story without it having to be the story yeah. um, you know I obviously pass um, and and it's become a part of my life to speak up and to have to sort of like, announce myself when it when it's relevant that said it's not always relevant like I don't walk in a room being like look at my mashallah necklace everybody be be careful what you say um but like I but but you know when it comes up it's just a fact about my life so I think that um 
yes, you can build narratives into into stories that um, that aren't about the about being Muslim, but like you know, the character can can make the same offhand comments about about going to the mosque and going to church. And I mean, people mention the Bible all the time, <laughs> like. Yeah all the time um, and uh, in I, normal conversation. Go ahead, Nana. I, um, yeah, I actually just, um, I was a staff writer in a writer's room for a new show that's going to be coming out on Apple called Swagger. It's like a basketball coming-of-age family show. Um, and we have a character um, who is African-American Muslim teenage boy. But the approach to the character is not to have it be like, oh, my God, he's a Muslim. Like every scene, you know, it's like some like teachable, you know, teaching lesson about him being Muslim. It's just the nuances that we mm -hmm. added to the character. He might have a kufi cap on. He might be fasting. You might see him making salat. Like, just those nuances that are part of the everyday life of Muslims but don't really need to be explained but can be seen visually and just kind of, like, engaged with. And I think that's what is... I think we should move toward that because it's really interesting to see just someone living life and who is Muslim but who is not making a statement about it at every every turn. Absolutely. I would cap off with, like, I'm very careful about any sentence or that says I'm representing my religion. Like, that is a lot of pressure. Uh, that's not Fuck what I'm that. here for. That's not, that is a lot. I am too imperfect. I've made too many mistakes, and I'm just like, there's no way I could take that. I'm not a theologian. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not a scholar in this field. I do, you know, consult with them if there is need to for a particular scenario, but it's just being, like what Nyla said, just being authentic to whatever that storyline is breaking off or whatever character is, like at least he's praying right when he's praying or when he's doing certain things, like you know that it's legit. Like, oh, okay, this is a real thing. And, you know, when you see a Muslim, a black Muslim just hanging out with black folks and they're like, oh, you Muslims? Like, yeah, that's like the, the hundredth Muslim that they know. It's not like they're going to be like, oh my goodness, you're fast. What is that? They know it. Most of the time, they yeah. know it. It's like, it's not the case. So I just, I get really, I'm very, very... Um, you know, honestly scared of phrasing any scenario where I'm representing my religion. No, I am just happen to be Palestinian. I happen to be Muslim. I happen to be from this background. But this is what the story is. And if there is, you know, subplots within there where there's a character comes in, as Muslim, it's just going to be authentic to it. And that's where it's going to be. There's another question. Hi. I have a question about Hollywood shorthand. So, um, as with most of the people in the room, we are all TV obsessives, and I'm sure trying to tell our friends, like, hey, you got to watch Rami. It rocked my socks off. It did. Um, but it's you have five seconds to sell it to someone, and I've heard a lot of people say, like, oh, it's kind of like Master of None, but it's blah, 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 blah. How do you sell a studio or sell your friend on watching a show or a movie or reading a book when it doesn't have something that you can easily say? It's like, you know, The Breakfast Club combined with Sex and the City or whatever. Like, how do you talk about those You just things? lie and then you make them watch it based on whatever it is the lie is and then you're like, but you're watching it, you're welcome. It's amazing. Um, I don't know the answer to that question, yeah. honestly. It's hard. Yeah, I mean... Um, when it comes to my film, I thought at first when we were talking about it and pitching it and trying to get people interested, I thought, oh, we need to phrase it as this 
you know, this is the next coming of this film. But when I actually talked about the story and I talked about that kind of conversion storyline, people were really interested and they were not a part of the community. They just were curious because they had never seen that before. So I think sometimes you should stay true to what about the story is different because that's actually what people want to see. They want to see a different story. Yeah, I just I I was pitching a couple of weeks ago. It went very very well. I can't talk about the details, <laughs> but it went very very well and uh, very thrilled about. It. it was like my first real rounds of like pitching a show, um, and it was all about and again echoing off what you just said is that a good story, being super prepared and understanding what your story is and what you're pitching and not being verbose, but just being right to the point and being precise and give them, like I was, I literally had a speaker in, in hand with me. I already picked out the music for the particular scene and I would just like, I acted the whole thing out. They were just like, oh my God, I've never seen this before. It's so cool. And it was just, it was a great way to grab the room and it went very well because of all the homework. I mean, this scene, like I went, through it four or five years ago. So I've had a lot of time to work on it. And that goes back again to just like banking material constantly, just keeping it in your savings account and then revisiting it from time to time. Like, oh, this is dope. This would go perfect what I'm thinking about now. And you tie it in together. And that putting in the time, putting in the real effort and time and then understanding the business and how to speak it is so invaluable. I can't tell you. Like, it's so important. So many people want to go so fast. Like, everybody's like, oh, I should be famous tomorrow. Should, that shouldn't be your driving force, is to be famous. Your driving force should be like, I want to make some yourself. dope content. <laughs> I want to. I mean, like, it's been great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm having a great time, and I hope it. But the thing is, it's like, fame will come if you're making dope shit. <laughs> That's it. If you're making something so, if you're so focused about making something that's so great, then everything else is just going to come. So why are you worried about it? That's what you tell your friends. You're like, you got to watch the show. It's some dope shit. That's it. That's all. I'm serious. It really is. I'm serious too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you would sell Rami. Like it's, it's like the closest thing and this sounds insane, but like, it's like girls, but like the, like with a completely different protagonist. Like that's the closest thing I can think of and I I feel like that that probably sounds insulting but I love Rami but like that's how authentic it feels. Yeah. Good. Next next question. Lady with the glasses getting gypped by the way. Shoot. I know, Kelly, you're sure. Okay, cool. Thank you, well, brother. Hello. I I, hi. <laughs> um, can you tell I was excited? Uh, I really was. Though. This is one of the panels I was most excited for coming to the festival. So thank you all. Uh, my question is really directed to Sue. I actually work in unscripted. Uh, and I guess, and for everybody, though, because if anybody has any ideas, please help me out. How can we also create more inclusion in the unscripted. I'm not talking about like Real Housewives. That's not ty the type of stuff that I do. But Why like the, not? No. No, but like the the variety shows, big glossy floor, floor game shows, the big, you know, network, all of that. Like hopefully this can be a conversation we can have later, Absolutely. but I wanted to just put it out there. because I think Engage us. Reach out to us. We are fun people. We're smart people. <laughs> I'm being so funny. I'm being, like games. I'm being 
very serious. Just engage, reach out to us. Um, call on us and we'll respond because we, you know, there's going to be a cooking show on ABC television. I suffered the previews, hijabi family. I, you know, I, I'm just saying, just call and we will come. Right. And we will help. And 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 absolutely. Careful what you wish for. We are we are the future. And I I I, I don't mean to scare anyone. I'm I'm telling you this as an invitation. We to are taking over. I, because it's <laughs> lock been, the doors in the back. It's going. It, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. And and you need to know our stories. America needs to know. We built this country. We meaning yes the black Muslim community built this country, but I'm just saying we were huge in making it what it is as Muslims. So, yeah, I just want to engage. Thank you, thank you. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I, you stop, you are so legit. I know you guys are thinking I'm wearing rose-colored glasses, but you have to understand, I grew up, I'm gonna just say, I grew up, I came when I was five, I grew up in the 70s. I grew up where there wasn't anyone like me. I wanted to be Marsha Brady and Lori Partridge because it was easier than being Suhad, Ayub, Obeidi. And so I am seeing the change. Say that again? No, I'm just Yeah, the whole thing. The door has been cracked open, and we're going to shove it open. And the best is yet to come. So, thank you. so it's a very aggressive. So, state. thank you. All right, but my man behind her. Okay. Um, I just had a question about if, if you guys are familiar with uh, the Kamala Khan Miss Marvel comic series. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck just yes. Any 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 thoughts or uh, comments on that? Can't wait. It's good. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm not on the panel. I don't know. <laughs> You what? Yeah, no, I messed up. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Never mind. It's, it's great. Again, change, change maker. Again, a piece of what you're gonna keep keep seeing in the future. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, audiences have such a big like. I mean, on Twitter, you can go on Twitter and you can see people kind of rallying behind, you know, Kamala Khan and like what's going on with that. Like they're naming directors that they want to direct. Someone like put my name on it. And I'm actually not that familiar <laughs> with the comic, not honestly, but there there's so many Muslim filmmakers, women who would be great to direct that. And you have people on Twitter, the audiences who are putting that out into the world. So I think that even like just as audience members have so much power to really demand what they want. So when they do hire the person to to helm that, they will listen to that 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 um, sentiment from the audience. We have a question over here. Uh, this is going back to a previous question. So when I like pitched Rami to my friends, I literally was like, he's gonna be my boyfriend, watch the show. You have to do it immediately. <laughs> Um, and that was it. I feel like that's kind of where the conversation stopped for me. And I just was interested in how non-Muslim Hollywood is kind of helping to shape this narrative, if they even are. Because I know some black filmmakers are very much like, we're going to keep it in our family until it's ready to be put out, until we know that people are going to accept it. Do you find that you guys are very open to non-Muslim Hollywood, like having a say? Or are you very much like, we're going to keep it in this strong-knit Muslim community, and then once it is ready and we're know it's going to be accepted then we put it out there. I'm actually I 
I've kind of built my career through through kind of black independent film. So over the years, I have like a strong connection to a lot of other black filmmakers who are making films independently. So I think that I belong to different communities and they support me so much. Um, I had the support of like Ava DuVernay really early on, Gina Prince-Bythewood, people, black women who I really looked up to who are telling their stories and finding a way and kind of followed in their footsteps. But I don't think that I, I belong so much to the Muslim community that I have to kind of like keep my stories within that world. Like I belong to different communities and all of them have been equally supportive in getting the stories out. I want to say so much about it, but I got lost. Are there any more questions? Can we get a microphone over here? It's coming. I think we could hear you from here, honestly. But she needs it. It's for the podcast. Oh, that's right. Come on, Mo. Oh, wow. I apologize. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you all for being here. My question is for Sue. Um, I kind of wanted to know what your opinion was on if MPAC had any um, interaction with Quantico. Um, that was a show that my sister and I really loved, but could not figure out if their depiction of Nima and her twin sister and them being Muslim, like it felt like they were playing into the playing yeah. into the cultural moment, obviously, of, yeah. of, of people thinking Muslims are all terrorists, and here right. they are working for the FBI and trying to make things better, but 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 they're being positioned as people that might not be trustworthy. Right. Did you have any uh, say in that? Um, and if no, because it's no. Right. But I want to address that. Are you done asking the question? Yeah, I was yeah. wondering if you guys... No, we did not consult on Quantico, okay. but yeah, no, I mean, we saw a lot of the whole, not just with Quantico, with so many other shows. And by the way, SUV, SVU had um, an episode oh. last year that was just so problematic, yeah. Oh, I mean, so it, I mean, we still, still have a lot... I'll still watch it, though, I'm not going to lie. We still have a lot of work to do. I tweeted, I tweeted I know, I 100 times. It's, okay. it's like one of the greatest shows ever made. I, 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 so we still have a lot of work to do. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, sometimes they, they introduce a Muslim character who has like a suspicion and that they're clear towards the end of the season or the series and that doesn't do us any good because the suspicion is already there. So this is why we do what we do. This is why Impact works in the industry. This is why they do what they do to change those narratives. And She has a follow-up, so let's hear yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, no, that's good. Thank you. Sure. Um, and my follow-up is when you're talking about changing what people do, I really want to know like how, how do you work with people when they ask you to consult? Because I know like as a, as a black person, uh, sometimes, you know, you're you're doing a lot of empathy training and you're, you're yeah. trying to lead up and stuff and help people to, to get it without insulting them. Or, we don't, we or, don't worry or, about insulting mm -hmm. anyone. I mean, well, there's sure. a way okay. there's a way to give feedback, obviously, yeah. without insulting people. That's not we're we're not going to walk on eggshells when it comes to our faith or at least impact isn't. And we have the image of our faith to protect and the image of the community to protect. So we do walk in with that responsibility on our shoulders. But we still do it in a very kind and professional way where we just help them tell a better story. Um, so, so when you're in the room, and this is why the title is Resistance, Inclusion, and Creating Muslim Narratives, our form, impacts form of resistance is engagement. We feel we're stronger inside the room, telling them how they can do it better than outside of the room. I think and also, it, sorry, it, yeah. not to speak for you, but like, these are showrunners or, or filmmakers or storytellers reaching out for that, that help. So yes. it's it's not like 
you know, MPAC is calling people like SVU and being like, yeah, SVU's and calling, SVU's um, and calling. Yeah. The, that's for me on my Twitter. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but, but the, I think that it's also important to say, like, there are a lot of showrunners who aren't Muslim or aren't necessarily, I mean, my show, the lead of my show is, is a Latina woman. I don't have that experience, so what I do is I reach out to, you know, first of all, I hire a lot of Latino people, but also I, I reach out to advocacy groups to find American to help me craft a story that uh, that reflects progress instead of inhibiting it. And I think that that's the, you know, Absolutely. what you guys are doing. And, and, that, and that makes a difference because when they come to you for help, they, they are open-minded and open-hearted. And so they do want to tell a better, more authentic story. But then that was a great question, by the way. We have time for one more question. Okay. Can it be about SVU? <laughs> I, can't, I don't make the rules. Here you go. Last question. Uh, I'm kind oh, of you kidding. guys wanted to end on a hijab. Is that what it is? <laughs> uh, oh. Just to prove this is a I'm Muslim sure. panel. <laughs> Let her talk. Let oh. her talk. I'm sure this was an accident. Uh, <laughs> hi, guys. My name is Shadia. I'm an entertainment writer. Um, so happy to have this panel. I've been looking so forward for it. And I just wanted to get your perspective of, um, there's so many actors nowadays that are, um, what do you call, they're representing Muslim characters, but they're not uh, Muslims in real life. And what are your thoughts about that? Like, what's your perspective on that? I will say, um, having just gone through the casting process of casting a pilot once, it's actually illegal to ask somebody their religion in a, in a cast, in, a, in an audition. So um, you, it, it's, I think it's hard to remember sometimes, like that's a job interview. And so when you're talking about hiring gay people to play gay people, like, or, or hiring Muslim people to play Muslim people, you're, you don't really get to, I guess what I'm saying is, the hope is that you can suss it out or, or that, that um, people will come in for, for roles that reflect them. But, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a little known fact. Like, you know, you, you don't get to ask that question. Yeah, I think I think it's the best actor should get the job, 100%. And it's on that actor's, you know, it's his job to actually do the research and, or and learn or her. You know, let's take it easy, guys. <laughs> I think you guys are well represented up here. Or <laughs> them. I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm teasing, guys. Don't start a riot, please. <laughs> Um, I just, I just think it should go to the, you know, it should go to uh, the best actor in the room, the guy who, or or woman, they can, they can execute on the highest level and to do the character justice. Period. And uh, honestly, I'd prefer him or her not to be Muslim because who knows? They might convert by the end of their research. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that note, on that note, I agree. I definitely agree that it's about who's going to play that character, who's going to inhabit that character, and give it the most depth and complexity. I think my experience with Jen, um, I, as a director, I took it upon myself to kind of um, lead that research for my actors to make sure they understood what they were doing and to learn about Islam, to learn about their characters fully. And I think that's really the job of people who create these stories is to give that information sometimes that people don't have. Um, I will say I had one actor in Jen who played the imam who is a Muslim and whose father was an imam. And that added a level of depth to that character. Um, he just had an authority 
authority over that I, I think came from him being an African-American Muslim. So I think sometimes you just have to play it, you know, either way. But I think it's definitely about who fits the role. I mean, in, in Rami, uh, David Merhedge, who plays, you know, our crew, part of our crew, he, he's not Muslim in real life. So there you go. It's one example why, and it was dope to see him do that and go through that and ask questions and always walk up to us like, hey man, he was always really nervous about getting it right. And it's so cool to see him go through that, you know, go through those motions. So it was really cool. This, I, I don't know that everyone will agree with me. And I don't know that I'm right, but like I feel differently about, um, say, a a person who's not Asian playing a person that's Asian versus a person who's not Muslim playing a person that's Muslim. Because I think religion is about what's in your head and what's in your heart, mm-hmm. um, and and race isn't. So it's I I think there's sort of like a, a line to to walk. I do think that we should be casting people of color as people of color. Um, I I feel differently about the religion thing, mostly because like if I needed somebody who's Catholic to play every person that's Catholic and somebody that's Presbyterian to play everybody that's Presbyterian. It, it's just, it's not a thing that I can wrap my head around the same way that I can wrap my head around. If you're going to play somebody of Arab descent, I think you should be of Arab descent. Um, that is Thank our you. time. Thank you so much Thank to you. all of you. And to our very talented panelists. Sue. Sue. Sue you. is such a gangster. I just want to say thank you for bringing Thank us you. Together Thank you. And Thank you so much. You Thank really, you. Sue, you're amazing. Love you guys. You guys Thank awesome. you. Thank you. The TV Campfire is produced by Caitlin McFarland, Emily Gibson, and AJ Myers, along with our audio partner, Five Ohm Productions. Mark your calendars. ATX TV Festival Season 9 is happening June 4th through 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit atxfestival.com and follow us on social media at ATX Festival. And be sure to check out our episode notes for a very special discount on badges exclusive to TV Campfire podcast listeners. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And stay tuned for even more exclusive releases each week.